listening to the Busted Wide Open Podcast. Dropping the elbow on the hottest topics in sports entertainment and the world of professional wrestling. With your hosts, Nick Howell and Sir Ian Dangerous. Coming to you from the Orbital Jigsaw Network Arena in sunny Southern California. Welcome back to the Busted Wide Open Podcast, but if this is your first time joining the show, I'd like to welcome you to, oh wait, no, this isn't one of our normal episodes. Oh. It's our anniversary, sir, Ian is Dangerous. Oh my God. Happy two-year our- anniversary. Two years. Oh my god. Two goodness. years, man. Well, c- uh, congratulations to us. Congratulations and, to you as well, sir. And thank you. I, well, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners yes. and patrons and supporters who have gotten us to where we are today. Wow. This Ye- is awesome, man. Year, I'm, I'm year so three. excited to still be doing this. Oh, we are. Yeah. Here we go into year three. Wow. That's awesome, man. When I, I, when I wind the clocks back to two years ago, when I was merely sitting in a bar having a beer with a friend. Talking yeah, about before, wrestling. It was like, hey, you we had should do your a podcast. Ma- before you had your majestic beard. That's yeah, true. That's, that is yeah, true. Back when I had I had long hair and you had short hair. <laughs> How things have changed. Oh, well, what should man. we do to celebrate? We got to do something to celebrate uh, well, two years of doing this show. In in addition to the complete overhaul of the and the move of the Orbital Jigsaw Studios uh, to Raleigh, <laughs> North Carolina, and the Ugh. impending return of of Nick Howell and Sir Ian Dangerous to the live streaming world of YouTube, yes. I thought we would do something in addition for all of our listeners that have come along for this ride uh, for us with us for the past two years. Something we are looking to do more of over the course of the next year and beyond is Ooh. to bring in more superstars, interviews, behind-the-scenes content, in addition to our regular weekly shows as we continue to grow. So... I found the first one. Oh, what what are we doing? Well, today, kids, I am happy to report that not only do we have someone that was a former NXT superstar, current comedian, member of the Upright Citizens Brigade in Second City. He has got a lot of projects going on, but we are joined today by none other than Ryan Nimeth. Ryan, thank you very much for joining us today, and welcome to the Busted Wide Open podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I am excited to uh, get down to business here. Congrats on three years. Yes. We're approaching three years. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, here we go. We're in year three. Yeah. Hot, hot young Briley. Hot <laughs> young Briley is with us. Is, are, are, you still, are you still referred to at all as hot young Briley? I am. Or is, I, that, uh, is that a past thing? No, that's, that's still... It's still a little weird when people call me Ryan, to be honest, because there was so many years where I was only Briley or what a hot young Briley or whatever. Uh, you'll find <laughs> was that was that Jim Corn Jim Cornette Jim Cornette came up with that, right? Uh, Jim Cornette came up with the hot young part. Briley was actually Nightmare Danny Davis's real life last name, and I I thought I would adopt that to show him a little secret respect. Uh, he was my first. The found the found. He was the founder founder of OVW. Yes. Yes. And am I, am I wrong in my history? Yeah. And my first uh, real actual wrestling trainer. Nice. Man. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that. Now the origin of Hot Young Bradley. Are you still working at all with uh, bar wrestling down here in Los Angeles? I have retired from bar wrestling. Maybe like eight months. Maybe could be a year. I could have been out of there for a year now. Maybe. Uh, I feel like I reached like a creative point where they're like, what else am I supposed to do here? And I announced that it was my last match, had my last match, and then did not wrestle there anymore. Mm-hmm. I sort of feel like, and this is not the same opinion like all wrestlers will have, but what else do you want me to do there? I wrestled every you know, incoming baby face you brought in there and lost to them. And I don't know what else, like, there's no, what do you want? <laughs> there's not a title there. There's not, I don't know what, I mean, I could just keep doing that month after month, but that seemed like sort of a waste of everybody's time, I think. Well, it was Dave, fun. David but, Arquette's looking for some action out there now. <laughs> <laughs> David Arquette, I mean, you know, that's a world champion you're talking about. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's that's oh, show I'm, some I'm, respect, I'm, Nick. That's WWE apologies. World no Champion David Arquette to you. Uh, I think it's kind of. Uh, do you go ahead? Oh, I was just going to ask if you still follow pro wrestling at all, or if, or if you're if you're fully invested in like in the comedy and uh, and the movie career that you're you're working on. Um, I do follow wrestling. I don't follow it 
to the extent that, like, okay, for example, I was checking out what happened at Money in the Bank, and me, <laughs> yes, and I was kind of like a lot of people going, "Who is this?" Like, there's just literally people on the show that I'm like, I don't know who this is, which is, you know, no disrespect to anybody, but when you check out in wrestling for even two months, like a million things could happen. That half the roster could be different due to you know injuries yeah. or call ups or whatever the hell. So. That was kind of fun to look at it and go, oh, I don't know any of half these people who they are. Great. Okay, cool. Perspective, is that in, is that enticing to you, or do you feel lost and disenfranchised if you don't understand like who, what the current landscape is? That's an, that's an interesting perspective point there. Um, it's not a bummer to me. It's more like exciting, I guess, because things are always changing. And I'll remember like, Damn, it changes so fast, and then sometimes it seems to not change so long. I know that's like a big complaint of wrestling fans is that they'll be like, "This is the same show every Monday." But then, yeah, I'm, a little bit. But if you don't watch it for two or three months and you come back to it, they can't. That's not always the case. Definitely, that's you know, there's fair. new, there's new. Yeah, you know. Ian and I are. We I just consume think, anywhere from ten to twenty hours of professional wrestling around the world every week in order to. It's uh, not enough. Us. Yes. You need There's to more. double that. I need to be uh, Neo and just get jacked into the Matrix. And <laughs> whoa, I just watched the G1 in five minutes. My brother has never seen the Matrix. <laughs> oh, the, your brother has never seen the Matrix? I, I was, uh, you know, I, this, I mentioned it to him the other day when we were, I think it was like less than a week ago. Because I, I was trying to compare it to something else I saw on Netflix, and I was like, "You remember like the big reveal of the Matrix?" And he goes, "Nah, I never saw it." And I was like, Whoa. "What? Whoa! Not that." <laughs> and I'm not some person who says everyone needs to see the Marvel movies or Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, but like the Matrix is like, you don't have to watch all three of them, but you should at least know the general idea of what happens in the first movie. Yeah. The, I mean, well, I mean, really, at the end of the day, you really you shouldn't watch all three of them. You should just watch the first. Yeah, one. I would. But yes, that's what exactly. I, I said. Just watch the first one because. That when you realize what like the world is and what the Matrix actually is, like that is such a milestone cinematic moment. I think so good. I would have to agree as someone who saw it in the theater like five times. Oh man, I would have to I'm agree. talking to the right person. Then. But yeah. I'm finding more and more people that miss a lot of those. Like miss they haven't seen. I haven't seen any Star Wars. I haven't seen any Indiana Jones. Like it's it's getting to the point where there's so much to consume. There is a lot, and with wrestling as well. It's, yeah, it's overwhelming. There's a ton of stuff out there. I used to not be able to watch. Like, if you're watching that much wrestling, it's hard to consume anything else at all. I remember uh, when I was trying to get to WWE, and then when I, when I was in NXT, people would like talk about movies and TV shows, and I just thought, how? When can you watch these? I have to just do tape study every day that I'm not like every hour I'm not training. I'm trying to watch what? old AWA and blah blah blah. Like how? How can these people watch anything else at all? What were some of the things that you saw, like that they would give you for tape study, that really like caught your eye? That you were like, "Oh, that's really cool. I never knew about that." Um, there any things that really jumped out? Well, there were things that I had a little bit known about, and if you asked me at the time, I would be like, "Yeah, I know about this." But like, for example, Andy Kaufman, I would have said, "Of course, I know everything he did." But then Dr. Tom Pritchard gave me all these DVDs and books, and I was just just like went hard like it looks like i was cramming for a final exam for andy kaufman and then i came back the next week and was like holy shit dude there was so much i did not know so many matches so many details and uh that was probably the biggest one for me was i think dr tom saw something in me that like liked the theatrical uh you know the whole the whole is it real? Is it not real? Like he saw that, like something that I was kind of gravitating towards and said, you need to study up on Andy Kaufman hard and super eye opening. Yeah, he's a, he's a fascinating one for actually kind of like bringing kayfabe to the mainstream almost. Yeah. just Like were they having you watch just his matches or was it also like his appearances outside of wrestling, like on Letterman and that kind of thing, like to get the whole picture? Everything, yeah. So, and I would like have claimed kind of cocky, like and kind of hard-headed like of course i know about this i saw the documentary in comedy central when i was 10 but like that doesn't cover <laughs> that'll just show you like his telling telling people to use soap and slapping lawler on the tonight show but like everything else every other part of his life oh man it's so good and uh yeah so like a week after i just immersed myself in all things kaufman it was like promo day and I concocted this whole thing where I made the entire 80-person roster and all the coaches and producers 
think that my grandma died live on the phone with me while I was like doing cutting a promo. And wow. <laughs> I'm I'm always whenever I tell this story, I'm a little wary that someone who is there will hear what I'm saying because so many people were like crying. <laughs> Oh wow! Is this in the performance oh, center, or where, where was this? Uh, this is pre-performance center. This is at the FCW building in Tampa. Gotcha. I had a bunch of the divas like holding balloons and flowers, and like we're all gonna sing "Happy Birthday" on the phone to my grandma, who was like mic'd in on the sound system on my phone. And uh, yeah, I won't get into too many details, but I remember being sent home. They're like, "Well, you need to be with your family. Like, go oh, get out of here. We're so sorry to hear this." And uh, Dr. Tom kind of looking at me, giving me like a little side eye, they're going, uh, okay, all right, okay. <laughs> like, kind of like looking at me like, yes, you have fully uh, aced this lesson. Good job. And I was like, okay, great. Fantastic. What, did it, did it, was everyone mad when you finally let him in on it, or did you just never break uh, character? I never let any, you're, you're getting let in on it right now. That's Whoa, it. Yeah. BWO uh, exclusive, oh, eh? Hopefully, hopefully no one who was there hears this and comes looking for <laughs> that's, you. That's kind of what I was thinking just now, yeah. But, oh, I mean, spe- specifically, uh, Ambrose, like a few weeks later, was like, hey, man, <laughs> So, you know, it's pretty shitty that some of these people are saying that that stuff was fake, man. If you ever need anything, let me know. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, oh, oh man. Which, which, what a very, uh, a nice thing to say. What a nice guy. What a stand up. You know, that's a test of a good yeah, friend. Is. Right that is. Yeah. He was, he had, he had your back <laughs> for better, or for worse. So needless to say, I love the, uh, theatrical, uh, deceptive illusion part of wrestling. That's my favorite part of pro wrestling. If you sometimes don't know what's real. Yeah. Do you think that that's something that would still like what Andy Kaufman did back in the day? Do you think that that still would be possible? I mean, I, I one wonders if, you know, because of kayfabe still being very strong when he was doing it, do you think that that would be something that you could pull off these days? Like someone like Andy Kaufman? I think coming so. In? Would that be, do you think that'd be I something think that you'd yes, like? Yes. And I think that it, it still happens, but it has to happen to a different degree, like one more removed because. Mm-hmm. All fans and all non-fans think they're so smart to everything. You have to let them have that and then go on beyond that. And I think it happens still. I think, uh, in a way, a few years ago, when everybody was so mad that Daniel Bryan wasn't allowed in the Royal, or wasn't going to win the Royal Rumble or be in the Royal, whatever the big thing was, everybody's so mad at Triple H. I think that is actually one way of that still happening. Mm. Getting mad at storylines is just another way of you buying into it. You you supposedly know that it's all scripted and planned, but you're mad at the way that it's scripted and planned. I think that sometimes that is just another way of being manipulated. Well, kind of like so I think what we just great. saw with Money in the Bank where Brock came out at the end and won it, and people are losing their minds right now because they, they feel like they've just right. seen you know years of Brock on top, and here he is getting handed this when everyone, you know, everyone else, quote-unquote, busted their humps in this match, and then Brock comes out at the end and right. sneaks in and wins it, and everyone's mad about that, but they're supposed to be mad about that. So that, that kind of like, right, yeah. like extra meta level of kayfabe, so that you think that that's a direct descendant of that? I think on one hand, it's a meta level of kayfabe, but on the other hand, it's absolutely come full circle, and it's the simplest level. Now you don't need to do anything extra. Now you're just mad at actually what happened. You just got worked. My head just exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Or I did a full Keanu Reeves from The Matrix and whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you uh, take a fan, you're a little kid, you don't know anything. Undertaker is an undead wizard. Okay, cool. That's great. Now you grow up and you're 25 and you know everything there is to know in and out of the business. (laughs) Now you're mad at, what are you mad at? The actual storyline of Brock winning a match? Well, then they had to do even less work to trick you. Yeah. Now, you know, that's it. Wow. Yeah. But you, you think you're smarter because you know everything, but really at the bottom, of, at the end of the day, you're just mad at a TV storyline. So you're still getting worked and, you know, I think that's great. Yeah. The same, the same way people that are mad at Game of Thrones. It's just, you know, hey, that's what they're presenting. <laughs> oh, man. So. That makes me want to watch it. I haven't watched any Game of Thrones, but at the the mo- this season of everyone being so upset about it makes me really want to. I think that'll be the next thing I have to get into. We'll probably. Well, creative differences. <laughs> well, what's funny is because my you know my my argument. So if we criticize WWE on this show, and we t- we try to have an even hand about it, but the one thing sure. that we always kind of come back to is 
you know, how, how, what is the quality of the creative decisions being made, you know, as far as like telling a uh-huh. story, is this, is this the best way to tell this story? And I think a lot of what people are mad about, well, some people, some people are just mad, but the people with Game right, of Thrones right. is that, you know, the first few seasons, I don't know why we're going to Game of Thrones on a wrestling show, but let's do it. Cause it's a metaphor. The first few seasons yeah, of Game fine. of Thrones, uh, it was very much about the characters and you got to invest in the characters. There was long, well-told stories about how these characters developed. Well, in the last few seasons, mm-hmm. when they were they were going off of the, there was no book to to follow. It felt more like a typical TV show where they created plot points, and they just had the characters fill in the gaps between those plot points, whether or not it made logical sense. And so, there's in Game sure. of Thrones a really sharp divide between two different styles of writing. And so, I think a lot of times with WWE uh, or just any just any pro wrestling. If you, if you look at it as that same kind of storytelling, are they servicing these characters? Yeah. Are they engaging the people with good stories? Or are they just doing things just because? And so with the Brock thing, I could see how people would be mad because, you know, they, no, more wrestling. I want it to be a certain way. Uh, but also I could see right. how people are like, well, this just doesn't make sense as far as a story. So I think those, that's the mm-hmm. difference between the two kinds of criticism Or lack thereof. Um, no, no story yeah. at all. That something just happens, right? Right, Because right. reasons. Like, do you, do you have any like favorite storylines in wrestling history that you were always like, man, that was really well written, or like that really engaged me emotionally? Uh, yeah, and I can think of one that really had me super engaged, and I feel as much as I don't want to be someone who criticizes wrestling storytelling. Of course, there's everyone who loves something is gonna have some problem with something, you know? Yeah. So. You, I'm sure we all remember uh, the big buildup between Cena and CM Punk. If if I win, I'm taking the title and leaving the company forever. 2011, yeah. And and he he won, <laughs> left the arena with the title, and just left in his gear with the title. Left the company, started showing up in indie shows with it. And then, so the, potentially that's the biggest thing to happen in pro wrestling in like a hundred years someone winning the the main worldwide biggest title and then leaving the company that's huge yeah and and i'm being allowed to like and and that's on the metal level like that was how they had scripted it to happen but you were kind of questioning like did they actually script that or or not so yeah it was well i loved it and and Every Monday at FCW, Dusty Dusty Rhodes and Dr. Tom Pritchard would come on, or every Tuesday, and say, uh, "What did everyone think about Raw last night, or whatever the week, the pay per view, or whatever?" And then just, I think it was one week. It was possibly one week later that Triple H just came out to the ring and said, "You know, 15 minutes of whatever you're saying." And then at the, the tail end of his promo, he goes, "Oh, by the way, uh, we met Punk's demands. He's back. The title's back. Blah blah blah." And I was like, "Whoa, what?" <laughs> The guy, the guy just took the title, left WWE forever, and then at the end of this other thing, you were saying, "Oh, by the way, Punk's back. It's all good. We we squared things away." Like what? <laughs> so I remember going, I was like, "Dream." That was potentially the biggest thing to happen in pro wrestling in a century, and now it's like, oh, no, yeah, yeah, other things are happening. That's cool. Oh, by the way, he's back. Just a throwaway line at the end. We're supposed to go. Oh, okay, cool. What a, I thought that was so lame because that could have just been great. for It could have been a year-long thing of Punk not being in WWE but having the title held hostage and defending it anywhere else. Like It would be so sweet. And yeah, it would just take that a was on a, I was pretty fired up about that. Yeah, any, just sometimes, so maybe it's similar to the Game of Thrones. It seems like people think Game of Thrones was wrapped up too hastily and kind of weirdly. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, sure, that happens sometimes in wrestling and maybe there's outside of the TV realm reasons that happens, but man, that was just such a lame outcome for something that I thought was so cool. Yeah. And that's, that's and that's, that's when fans one. would step in and, and, and say like, well, they obviously did it because of business. They need to make more money and CM Punk being around makes them that money. And that's when, you know, the sign, the second guessing about the rationale for it comes in. Yeah. So yeah, no, but I do. That's a, that was a fantastic story. I mean, that, that really re-energized a lot of stuff and brought in a lot of people who had, left wrestling and we're hearing about all that stuff and like, Oh, what's, yes. yeah, what's going on? Yes. What's it? The CM Punk guy. And he, did, he ran away with the title. What? Not only that, but that was a fantastic was, match too. That, that match in Chicago. was, that was a great match. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was a really great match. It was, uh, seeing his face clutching it, like sitting on like the guardrail <laughs> before he hopped over and ran out. That's such an Kissing, image that's burned into my brain. Blowing a kiss. Goodbye. 
Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It was, it's similar a little bit to seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin get arrested and like let out by police officers. That's like yeah. their iconic moments, you know? Yeah. Jawing the whole way out, just running his mouth. Oh my God. Away. <sighs> so good. Yeah. Great, great stuff. So, okay. So with Game of Thrones, things definitely changed when the books ran out and they, and they had to just freshly start new writing. That was, that's like the divide you can see. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and it's crazy to actually watch the show, and and you can almost see when they run out of pages to to crib from. Yeah. Wow. Um, they, they, and they were um, Martin was in there. He had a timeline, so to speak, of major milestone events all the way. I, th- okay. I believe to the end that he and he was consulting with uh, Benioff and Weiss behind the scenes. Okay. Like there was some collusion happening there. But yeah, that we, there's collusion. It was it's proven, right? <laughs> there's evidence right. of collusion. There there are checks written from <laughs> HBO to uh, to George R. R. Martin for <laughs> consulting fees, right? Somewhere in the in the financial realms. Well, that's an uh, it's an amazing testament to his writing. Then, if you can definitely tell. Oh no, it's a huge testament. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge testament to his writing. Yeah, absolutely. Just to be able to build what four additional seasons off of where the books stopped. Of of Damn. major television, um, and it, we've been wait. I remember the last one came out. I think it was 2011, and we we were waiting for like 10 years each book. <laughs> yeah, that's been like eight or is nine that true? Years yeah. yeah, it yeah. is. Oh no, he's he started writing this in like the early 90s, and it's still he's, oh only, gotten five, he's yeah. only gotten five books in. But here we we are here to talk uh, about you, my friend, not about. Uh, <laughs> Goddamn yeah, Game of Thrones. Too fascinated with Game of uh, Thrones. I guess this is all things like this stuff I could just Wikipedia later. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, no, dude. I, I I would love to actually spend the time talking about Game of Thrones because we definitely we we definitely have opinions on that as well. Uh, but I wanted to pick your brain a little bit more um, about some stuff, and then I want okay. to talk about about what you're up to now because you're up to a bunch of exciting stuff yeah. right now as well. Um, I mm-hmm. actually had a couple of questions about like what you think about some of the more. Eh, Maybe controversial isn't the right word, but it, it, sort of interesting things that are going on the sidelines in WWE right now. For instance, I know that you were, um, I don't know, friends, but you trained with Luke Harper uh, back in the day in yes. NXT. Um, and, you know, he's been going through kind of an interesting journey over the last few months as well, where he was injured, he came back, they had nothing for him, they thought they had a program for him, and then they didn't. Mysteriously showed up at Mania in the Battle Royal. Yeah, yeah kind of got thrown in there at the last second, and then they, he was told they had nothing for him, and he asked for his release, and then they kind of froze him out. Um, and I'm wondering if, if you know anything about that or, or if, you, if you have any ideas of what you think he might do afterwards or, or, or what's going on with him. I don't uh, claim to know exactly what's going on with him, but I do chat with him once in a while. I mean, I'd, if I did have secrets, I probably wouldn't. But I I know that he's an amazing talent and he's wrestled for so long before he even got to NXT. And so I feel like he's smart. He's not some like uh, he's not 25 years old and mad at WWE and quitting to prove a point or something. I'm sure whatever he has planned is well thought out, uh, mature and responsible. And he's a family man. I mean, he's not someone who's also just living on his own. He's got a family he's got uh you know the future of kids his children to think about so i would say that whatever he's planned to do is probably smart and something he's been thinking about for a long long time and oh, he was one of my favorite people to ever work with in the ring and my brother has said the same thing so yeah wildly uh, underrated I've, super talented guy for oh sure. man so good yeah so good and uh was one of my main people I would ride to all the shows with in NXT. He was definitely one of my great friends. And, you know, a good dude, really good in the ring. That's the kind of person that's great to be around, who's so good at wrestling and also so good at just being a normal human. So, man, I'd like to think that he keeps wrestling somewhere, but maybe he just, it could be the case where he just wants a break and he'll come back. Who knows? Yeah. But he's really, really good. So, I. That's that's kind of what I was wondering, just because I I I feel like he's incredibly underutilized, and I'd love to see more of him because he's one of those guys that I always wanted to have have a bigger push because he's just so good, you know. But yes, um, yes, same, yes. Th- same thing with EC three, who's kind of disappeared as well. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's all, all of my friends, all of my best <laughs> friends. <laughs> uh, Tyler, Tyler Breeze, I don't, I don't, he's on like up, up, down, down. That's the only time I see him anymore. But, uh, yeah, I guess him and uh, Dillinger just opened up a wrestling school, which is nice. 
Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. That sounds that. That's where. Where was it that they opened that up? Yeah, I don't know what city. Uh, I think it's Palatka. It's somewhere somewhere right outside Orlando. It's some some of those one of those weird three syllable Florida towns that, uh, in the Orlando area. <laughs> That'd be awesome, great. Man. He's uh really 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 good at wrestling and really good at teaching people. So I think that will probably be a very successful little side business. And that's something Seth Rollins and Kurt Hawkins has done. Uh, just open up your own school in the, the place you live. So on your off days, you can have some other income coming in and plus give back to the wrestling community at large. I think that's a good thing to do. It's cool. Absolutely. Well, especially if you have that, if you're at that point where you can, where you can do that. It's int- I didn't know Kurt Hawkins had ones too, but that, that makes sense. He's been doing it for long enough. So. Yeah, they have one in uh, I think it's New Jersey or New York. It's called Create a Pro Wrestling, C A W. I think. I think it's cool because uh, there used to be something that seemed there's more a little bit more freedom now because I don't think like ten years ago you would be allowed to do that. You know, like if you worked, you're under contract. Yeah. You'd either have to be one of the the trainers in their developmental system or just keep to yourself. So it's kind of cool that they're just letting talent do that now i think that's a great thing well speaking of contracts actually uh, that's something that's kind of in everyone's mouths these days ever since that john oliver piece was the idea of wrestlers for wwe as independent contractors and i'm just curious what your thoughts are on that like do you think that that's a legitimate argument that yeah they're independent contractors they come in they work for us you know we can let them go at any time but we don't have to pay their health care like do you think that that's a legitimate argument do you think that it should be something where you know they're they're actually full-time employees like where do you stand on 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 that i remember when i got my they sent me my booking contract in the mail i had my lawyer friend look it over and he was like well it's 95 percent in their favor and i said oh no what should i do he goes well do you want to work there i was like yep he goes just sign it i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they're they're not going to change anything because what do they care? And I was like, all right, okay. So my mindset going into it was always they have constructed this empire based on you don't matter. Anyone is interchangeable at any time. It doesn't matter how big of a star you are. Anyone can be replaced by anybody because the fans will keep watching no matter what. It's like the too big to, to, uh, to fail argument. Yeah. And so when you're there, that's just how it is. You know that it's a little bit crooked and stacked out of your favor, and there's a million th- reasons each week you can say this isn't fair, this is illegal, and blah blah blah. And you can, and then you just won't work there. So I don't know. That's I mean, that's basically it. You got you basically have to, you have to sign the sign the devil's deal to do it, but you're getting also at the other hand you're getting what you want out of it, which is to work for this company yeah. and, and be seen on that stage. Yeah, and they know that, and they know that they have all the they know they have the little carrot at the end of the stick, and you'll be in NXT for. 20 years if they want you to be because you think someday you might get called up, you know, <laughs> and some people uh, are cool with that. Most people are cool with that. Some people aren't. I think that it'd be great if it was not an independent contractor thing because of the, that everything you saw in the John Oliver thing, I would say that plus 200 more things. I mean, oh, wow. he, he scratched the surface there. Yeah. So who's really vocal about this? Ryback has a lot to say about this. Oh boy! And yes, yes, he, he does. He has a lot to say. In, <laughs> he has a lot to say in general, but yes, about this for sure, he does. And it's uh, to some people will say like, "Oh, Ryback's a bitter guy who's mad that he got fired, but he didn't get fired. He left on his own terms, yeah. walked away, and it wasn't because of you know I should be champion, blah blah blah. It was for like pretty legitimate reasons. And there's things that." No one in that company is going to read and go, okay, we'll change this, come back. Because they don't care because you're replaceable no matter who you are. We drive back gone, great. We have Kevin Owens. You know? Right. Well, or, or Lars Sullivan, <laughs> you know. Or but whoever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because do you think that with AEW coming along, if they present you know, some sort of alternative, it, it would force change? Or is it something that you think is just so ingrained in the culture there that it's, it's just, that's just how they're going to be, take it or leave it? Uh, that's a great question. It's something that I find myself thinking about while I drive every day, too. I would say that the only reason WWE, WWE would ever change the way they do things is if they have to change the way they do things. And they do not, at this point, have to change the way they do things. So. Right. Did they cover you, or was it your insurance, or there? Did they help you at all? When because I, I think I remember you breaking your leg when you were back in yeah uh, FCW. Broke my leg. Uh, the nice thing is that if you are injured during 
training or a match, like in a, a WWE ring, you're covered for all your medical needs. So that's that's cool. Is it technically treated like workman's comp uh, kind of situation? I don't know exactly how that differs from that, but it. I mean, I was hurt in a ring during training, and so any treatment and any follow-up tests and exams and everything were all covered by my WWE and health insurance thing or uh, whatever insurance. What happened? How did, how did you break your leg out of curiosity? Uh, we are on like hour three or four of some high spots drill. And I took a back body drop from Xavier Woods and launched up into the air and flipped one and a half too many times and landed with my right leg underneath my butt. And it just was like, Kind of like a loud snapping noise. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, it was so gross. Oh. So gross, man. Oh. And I remember I just like rolled to the edge of the ring, and Joey Mercury like like very softly and daintily helped me to the to the floor. And I was just like, something's wrong, man. It's not like <laughs> it's so bad. My something hurts so bad. I could yeah. tell that this was beyond a sprain or like. Cause I never have really broken a skeletal like limb bone before, so I knew that this was new, and I was like, "Oh man, this sucks." Whatever it is, it's bad. And they got my as soon as my boot was taken off, my leg like sw- got just swelled up so big. Uh. And <laughs> and uh, Skinner, Steve Kern came over. He was he's the the president of FCW, and he goes. He goes, Briley, if this thing isn't broken, you're the biggest sissy I've ever heard of, or something like that. <laughs> and then he just like walked away, and then the, and I just started laughing. And it was kind of a, like, took me out of the misery of the pain to hear that, because it was pretty funny. And I went to get the x-ray, and the doctor was like, yeah, it's, uh, you know, whatever kind of fracture. And I was like, oh, thank God, Skinner was going to be so disappointed in me. <laughs> Skinner. Oh man! Oh, uh, that's great. Well, Ian, what else have we got for uh, for for? Oh, uh, well, actually, right I was here. actually going to transition in here because I was going to say, uh, you know, because I, I, one thing that, uh, from what I understand, is that while you were out with this leg injury, it was one of the things that inspired you to start writing. And I, I think you'd been you'd been writing before that, but that was another time where you wanted to do some writing just because you were laid up. Um, yes. What what. Like, what was your creative process for for coming up? Because so you so you have not only uh, and and please feel free to add to this. Uh, this is just what I know of. Mm-hmm. But you have a book out called "I Can Make Out with Any Girl Here," um, and then <laughs> yeah. you also have a a Kindle Kindle only release called "Life Advice for Your Life," which was, I, if I remember yes. correctly, that was the one that you wrote while you were laid up with the broken leg. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Where did that Where did that come from? What was Where was the inspiration for that while you were laid up? Damn, it was such a dark time because when your job is based on being physically able and like actually beyond physically able, just being super athletic every day, and suddenly you can barely walk. And let's be honest, the broken fibula is not the worst injury in the world. I mean, there's people who have had way worse things happen in wrestling and in other, you know, realms. But it sucked. It's no, I thought it was, it's I was no on, joke. That's yeah, no joke. Yeah, it really still. sucked. I was uh, Florida tag champ, and like on all the house shows, we were main eventing. This match was so fun. We were having it was. Uh, we're doing different variations of this for a few months where the main event of the house shows would be Sandow, Ambrose, and Cesaro against me, Brad Maddox, and Xavier Woods. And it was just such a fun group of people, and it was so great to work with uh, Sandow, Ambrose, and Cesaro because they're all so good. And I was, out of all those people, the most green and newest person ever, so it was so great to learn from those dudes because I would be in the, the ring most of the time taking the heat from three different amazing heels, you know? And so it was a blast. It was cool. And I was learning a lot. And then suddenly, bam, you're hurt. You're not champ anymore. You're not in the matches anymore. You're not doing anything. So I really got into, I like, uh, usually if you're injured, you're kind of just injured and you're out back then. But I, I went to Dusty and I was like, listen, man, I can't just not do anything. Let me please come in on Wednesdays and work on promos, different characters, and do commentary on the, the TV shows. And so he was, uh, to his credit, Dusty Rhodes was a huge proponent of mine and like really great to me and saw something in me, at least creatively. So he let me do pretty much anything I wanted. So I would come in with new characters, manage people, do commentary, host things. 
on crutches or with the boot or whatever, you know. But all, all weekend, I wouldn't be at these shows. And I couldn't, and everybody I knew worked with me. So I was just sitting alone in a house for two days, you know. And it was just unfulfilling, you know. You could do what you want during the week, but like there's days on end where you're doing nothing. So I started, I had this idea, which was the, the life advice book, because it was just take my mind off of wrestling entirely. And I developed these two characters writing a book together and imagine how that would go. And it kind of just, it was like a matter of weeks, right when I was first injured, I think. And it was uh, very fun. I don't know how, I don't really know how many people actually read that one. A lot, far fewer than the first one. But uh, yeah, that's kind of, I just started rambling. Sorry, dudes. Oh, no worries. Oh, no, no, I, but, we, we wanted you to. Yeah. That was, uh, and, and frankly, if anyone's <laughs> listening to this show, hopefully they will become new readers of that, that book. It is on, it's on yeah, Kindle only. I think, um, but yeah, no, and, and also your book I can make out with any girl here. So hopefully our guys, our our listeners, guys and gals, go check those out. Yeah. Um, but that's actually that kind of leads me to my next thing, which is is you you know you've I, I've read, read a couple things where you've said that you kind of have to always be being creative, and you know if you're not out like in NXT, if you're laid up, you just have to do something to keep your mind going. Yeah. Um, and I know one thing that you've always been very invested in was like improv theater and now stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you like, you like started in improv theater and like writing sketches and now you've moved into yeah. stand up as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'd rather you tell this story, but about coming out, sure. you, you were always interested, I believe in upright citizens brigade. Yeah. Yeah. Came yeah, here yeah. to, came here to LA. What was your experience of coming to LA and like, how did that go from moving from, uh, improv theater into stand up and, and and now that you're doing both like what do you prefer what what's what experience do you like more before i started wrestling i was living in chicago doing improv at io and like training with people from io and second city and all that and i performed a lot of improv and so there was always this like fork in the road of like will i pursue comedy or will i pursue wrestling uh, what i knew was that i loved being in front of people and getting a reaction from them whether it's making them laugh or I would find out later in wrestling, you know, get in the cheer or boo you. It was something mm-hmm. that is like, maybe you guys get this when you do your podcast. You like attention. You like people paying attention. You like to uh, be the person doing the thing that people are watching. I just knew I'll, that. I'll I love say that. this, because I, I, have, I have a history in theater as well. There's a very different thing between okay. just kind of, you know, yelling into the darkness of a microphone and getting that live reaction, getting yep. that feeling oh, from a live crowd, because there's nothing like the feedback you get from a live crowd. It's wild. Yeah, it's electric. It really, people use the word electric, but it really, it feels that way. It feels you're getting shocked in a good way. For sure. And I would imagine it's just, it's so like specific and so sharp when you're a wrestler and it's just such high emotions. Um, do you feel like you, you get that as well from, from improv and from, and from stand-up comedy? Because it is more kind of, uh, you're, you're on a tightrope with those kinds of theatrical experiences. Yeah. You're on a total tightrope. Um, what do you what do you feel is more exciting for you uh, between like stand up or improv? Like what what get what feeds your your need a little bit more? Damn, that's a hard one. Um, there is something just ultimately unbeatable. Com- like when you walk through the curtain and instantly people are booing you. That's a really <laughs> great feeling of, of knowing like like I haven't done anything yet. Like I, this was the last time I wrestled in Australia with Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore tour. The very first show of the night, I was going out to to work with Colt Cabana, I think. Oh, boom. And I remember <laughs> I, I was thinking, all right, I'm gonna have to get over as a, get some heat somehow, you know, because they don't these people don't know who I am. And I walked out there, and the crowd started booing like as I was walking down the ramp, and I was like, well, I guess it'll be a little bit easier than I thought. And that, as soon as I got to the center of the ring, the entire place is booing where I'm like uh, laughing a little. Like I didn't, well, I didn't even do anything. What if I'm the good guy, you idiots? Like that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and it died down a little bit. And then someone in one of the, the front rows yells, you fucking douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> how did you know? <laughs> and then, then just giant sections of the, the floor started chanting, you suck dick. You suck dick. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wow, that's a, I, that's the kind of heat, I, heel heat you can't pay for right there. Right, oh and God. I nudged the ref. Who, the, the ref was Australian, and I said, hey, is this normal? And he goes, 
he said, oh, mate, I, ne- I don't never seen anything like this before, mate, or whatever. And I was like, oh, cool. So that was a good feeling. When things like that happen where you don't really have to put, they just, I mean, maybe there was something in the way I was walking or the faces I was making, but it was, that's a pretty good feeling. Uh, yeah. To be overseas, not really have slept. I think my gear bag was missing. On I had to borrow other people's gear. Yeah, I wasn't even wearing what I would normally wear, and I was still just like, "Boo, fuck you!" <laughs> Great feeling. Oh, God, <laughs> just naturally uh, proje- projecting the heel. Oh man. Oh my God. I really was thinking, what if I'm the baby face? You got like, <laughs> what's gonna happen now if he tries to come out and be the bad guy? It's not gonna work. You guys, you guys, guys gonna make a, a quick call in the middle of the ring to change that up real quick. Oh man. <laughs> So how do you relate that to doing uh, improv or stand-up or something like that? Is there a similar sure. experience that you get when uh, doing the two different things? You don't want to be booed during during comedy. That's for sure. No. <laughs> That's the worst. But, it, but, but Hold on one second. It, but if you do, you want to really get booed like at that Australia level where you're like, okay, I'm getting a big reaction. <laughs> you're going to bomb, yeah, bomb if you're going to get booed, you want them to yeah, just mob you. Uh, <laughs> I like to. I've been doing this character. And my brother, my brother's been doing the stand-up tour, and I'll, I hop on a lot of the dates. But I, I don't really do st- traditional stand-up on it. I kind of come out and do a character and do little bits. And one of the things I've been doing is coming out as Todd from eleventh grade. So I wear like a varsity jacket and have a little gold medal, you know, around my neck and my little high school journal. And I have whatever uh, town we're in. I have the the host. I'm like, hey, do you mind bringing me up as Todd from 11th grade? Like, say there's some youth outreach program with the comedy club or whatever. And that's a little test for me to see, like, this is a normal stand-up comedy club. They're expecting someone to come up and go, hey, here's my jokes. But I want to see, like, it's similar to me seeing, can I get people to boo me? Yeah. So it's like, can I get them to buy into play this game with me where I'm a high school kid, you know? And there's usually, like, <laughs> a lot of people are instantly in. And there's some people who are on the edge of like, I want to see jokes, man. What the hell? Yeah. Does the sketch comedy translate to people in the audience or are they just there to see the jokesters? Because that does sound like more sure. of a sketch comedy so, kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely is. But I'm so stubborn about it. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> what, what kind of makes it work. Because I'm like, no matter what you think you're doing, I'm the one on stage and I'm demanding that right now I'm doing a character and you have to just come along with it. And yeah. <laughs> it basically works. So like... Uh, the we what do we do? The what's in New York? Carolines. We're at Carolines during Mania weekend, doing a show, doing two shows. And one of the nights, as I'm being introduced as Todd from 11th grade, someone goes Spirit Squad, and like, oh no, wrong. I, I was never in the Spirit Squad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, like you literally bought tickets to the Dolph Ziggler rest, like comedy show. You know that he was in the Spirit Squad. I like I definitely was not. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'll just let that one go. And then I started talking, and he's like, Spirit Squad. And I'm like, and my character, Todd, is so sad. He's like bummed out because he got dumped freshly. So I look right at this guy, and I go, I'm like, hey, man, I'm on stage right now. This is my time, you know? <laughs> like, I'm maybe going to cry a little bit. Because <laughs> the heckler kind of wants attention, but kind of doesn't want to be challenged with what kind of attention. So if I like, if my character is now, like instead of just going, hey man, I wasn't in the spirit squad, I'm doing a, uh, a fake character right now. Like that's not yeah. going to fly, you know? No, you can't break character. No, man. So like I refuse oh. to break character. As I leave the stage, I'm still like in care. Like I, it never ends until like I take my clothes off in the green room or whatever. So I think that helps deal with someone who might want to heckle you for not doing stand up or whatever the hell. Yeah. So no, it's, it's also easy to see like where that connection is between the improv theater and your comedy and your wrestling too, because you know, on all three it's character based. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. 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 And I'm like pretty stubborn and I'll stick to like my last rap match at bar wrestling. I was announcing, I was giving all these clues that I was going back to NXT and I said, I can't make the last bar. I'm sorry. I have to cancel my last bar wrestling. because I'm moving back to Florida and then I came out through the crowd, like cutting a promo about how, <laughs> how I, I demanded that Canyon Seaman let me wrestle my last match on the Indies so I can whoop this guy's ass and then go back to NXT a champ or whatever. And that was just <laughs> the what a heat, what a what heat, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god, so good. And then that's- and that's and I'm like I'm not coming back. And that's that is part of my stubbornness committing to this thing. I said. 
I was not coming back. I'm not com- freaking coming back, man. That's it. What do you want me to do? Wow. Yeah. Sorry, bar well, wrestling. <laughs> but you, but you've you've moved on to other things, and one of those things is now you're producing movies. Is that correct? Yes. You have one coming up. Yeah, I'm gonna. I have developed a script. I found an amazing director, and uh, we are fine tuning the budget with producer right now, and gonna launch a crowdfund campaign to make a uh, what I think will be the biggest project of my life so far probably yeah it's about wrestling it's set in the world of wrestling it will feature some badass wrestling sequences and it will deal with some topics that are pretty sensitive that nobody wants to talk about or really put out there namely uh, addiction and sexual assault so it's stuff that's not pleasant it's not going to be a comedy sorry to say but uh, i think it's gonna be awesome and i think it's going to shine some light on some stuff that Deep down, we all know is there, and I think it's going to be a pretty badass, unique uh, film. I'm pretty pumped oh, so about it. Some stuff that's very relevant right now. I mean, you yeah, know, we're, we're just we're stuff stuff about uh, like Ashley Massaro, for example, starting to come out right now, and uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely some more mainstream attention about some of the inequities going on in the wrestling business. So that's definitely, I think, a smart topic. Yeah. Is this a, is this a documentary or is it's a drama? It's a it's a, a no. A, this will be drama. a drama. I've uh, I just my brother just did an interview with me and the director, and I'm gonna start posting those videos soon. But he, we we covered the topic of it's not a documentary. There's so many wrestling documentaries. We don't need more wrestling documentaries. They never stop, and they're all they're, you know, it's all like behind the body slam or whatever. You know, like yeah, okay, behind the body. Did you know? Mask. Yeah. Oh man! Oh, and you said you're writing the script, or you have a you have a script writer who's working on it, or um, I uh, I wrote it, and I actually used a lot of uh, I did some in, some kind of interactive things on Twitter and Instagram where I would pull people and just say like, if you watched a wrestling movie, what topics would you want to see addressed? Mm. And I had this a little bit in mind of what the story was going to be, and just after thousands and thousands of votes being tallied. Like the top two results were addiction and sexual assault. Wow. And then what I was not prepared for was getting hundreds of people sending emails and private messages to me about those topics. Oh, wow. Like their, per- their personal experiences? Yeah, which was a big bummer. Oh, wow. Okay, it was two sides. It was, it was a huge bummer. And then it was like, okay, this needs to be made because yeah. it would be like, He's like they would be like, hey, here's what I, I saw your poll, and this is why I voted for the this thing because this happened to me, or because this happened to my friend, or this happened. Like, uh, then you know, much longer emails would come in of like really detailed stories of things that I'll never repeat to anyone because they're they're not my story to tell. But just seeing that was like, man, I remember there was one I was trying to read through like all of them, and it was so heart wrenching and brutal, and it was just really an inspirational thing of like. This ha- now it can't just maybe happen. This definitely must be a thing you do because it seems like people are counting on this being broken open and they it seems like they're super invested in it more than just, hey, here's a rest here's a movie about wrestling. Okay, cool. Yeah. Here's a movie yeah. about something that's super crucially important to people who are super, you know, scared or hurt or have been betrayed or whatever. You know. Do you think this will be something yeah. where it will open up the dialogue so that some of these people who are uncomfortable about talking about it now will be able to talk about it? I hope so, and I'm not counting on that or demanding that, but I think that if this were something that did break the ice, so to speak, I would love that. I would think that's something that needs to, be, needs to happen. It's inevitable. It's happening in every other industry. I don't know why wrestling and indie wrestling seems to be impervious to outing awful stuff like that, you know? Yeah, uh, uh, with the script itself, about how much of it do you think is like you know your original story, and how much do you think is informed by things that you've seen and things that you've heard? Like whether whether or not it's second or secondary, tertiary, not taking anyone else's stories by any, by any means, but just inspired. Sure, you know, like how, like how much do you think is completely whole cloth original, and how much is informed by reality? Uh, it, I would say that it is fully fictional, but uh, very thoroughly permeated with reality so if you were to read it or were to watch it you would not be watching something that's out of this world it would be watching something that's very like oh yeah this is if you are in the business this is 
an everyday thing that no one has ever mentioned. But yeah, all the time. So if you were, so if you were in the business, you'd be like, oh yeah, that happens. <laughs> you re- you recognize? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You you and I'm sure that's going to happen when people who watch it who aren't fans will talk to their wrestling friends and be like, dude, what about this? They'll probably be like, yeah, so what? Of course it goes on. Like I don't know. Mm. It's one of those things that everyone knows about and won't say anything about. And I would like to, uh, you know, hopefully change that. What is your dream as far as like where this would go? Like as far as festivals or Netflix, like what is your like biggest dream about where this would end up? Uh, the primary goal is to get it into as many festivals as possible, to get as many eyes on it as possible. And since it's a crowdfund, uh, people who contribute will get sweet like rewards and incentives. And one of them would be uh, first like chance to check it out with a secret little password to watch it as it's getting put in festivals because it's not going to be widely available until because when you submit to festivals as you probably know you can't like have it posted publicly anywhere right. it's the festivals want first grab at it but people that get involved with the crowdfund will be able to privately watch it on their own which is a cool thing there's all other cool incentives like uh signed like script pages or movie posters by my brother and i skype chat with my brother and i my brother's a uh, consultant and one of the producers on it, so he's pretty involved in it, which is cool. Uh, yeah, and there's all types of other cool stuff. Once we go live with the campaign, I don't know when your podcast airs, but it might be up as this airs, maybe. How soon is it going live with the crowdfunding? When it, when is that going live, and, and do you know where it will be? It's going to be on Seed and Spark, which I love because it's super inclusive and uh, was founded originally to give a, a film cinematic voice to, to people like women and people of color and, you know, not me, basically, white dudes. <laughs> but I think it's, like, the best platform. I really like their message, and I have my director is actually uh, Maggie Levin is a, a woman who is up-and-coming and kind of badass, like, has a, like a little rock-and-roll music video background, and has done a lot of stuff that I really like. I really like the way her stuff looks. I like the voice that she has. And I'm pretty, like, really fired up about this. I know I've been got, <laughs> I got fired up earlier about Game of Thrones. I don't even watch it. <laughs> but th- so, yeah, take that and multiply it by 10, I guess. You know, there, there's an interesting context here as well that do we it, – it's scary sometimes as wrestling fans for 20, 30 years to begin to peel back the – the, the curtains and see you know see inside the sausage factory how it's made and kind of the dirty laundry that can go on and there's countless stories yeah, of, yeah. of this kind of stuff over the decades and over the years uh, of these sure. kinds of things happening and you know the, the goings on behind the scenes um, but you know I, I think it's important I think as we get more the fans are more invested with social media and everything today in the wrestling business as a, as it is a business yeah and I think it's important mm-hmm. that they understand uh, the context of this. You know, this isn't all just make believe and superheroes. Yeah, real people's right. lives are affected here every day, and it's important to get this out there. I'm I'm really excited that you're doing this. Probably for you know, I'll say for the right reasons. I'm I'm disappointed that this kind of yeah. stuff exists, but if it does, it needs to be you know brought to light. And you know, something you just said really struck a chord. No, just people need to know it's not just all make believe. There is that very convenient blurry line of what's real and what's not real in wrestling, which is very uh often a thing that that masks some of these things. Mm. Instead of getting mad at Brock Lesnar winning the winning the briefcase, maybe we should be mad about people getting abused behind the scenes kind of thing. I don't know if somebody is uh I'm going to make up a wild example here that's just not based on any reality. Someone's character on TV is that he's a maniac wild man who's just ultra violent and then maybe gets into a bar fight and beats somebody up who is whatever in real life. That could be chalked up to, oh no, that didn't really happen. That's just his character. That's just the rumors people say about him. That's his on screen right. character. It's that type of thing that's like great in the seventies, but not great right now, where like people are skating around being held accountable because, oh no, it's just their character. That's that's their on-screen character. Oh, okay. Well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with with Andy Kaufman. Is like where does where does reality end and and fiction begin and vice versa? You know, and at what point yeah, do we take and, it, do, at what point do we take it seriously? And then there's talent themselves who buy into it too, and they don't mm-hmm. know where you know. Think about like the worst case scenario of somebody who's 
just at the bottom of the barrel, the bottomless pit of some kind of pill addiction. And when they go to the ring, they don't know that they're playing a part or wrestling for money. They think this is a real thing that's happening because they bought so hard into their own gimmick and old character. The blurred lines between reality and whatever, forget the fans. The guy in the ring doesn't know. Well, and, and I think we've heard a lot of those stories where, you know, we, we've either heard of or know of a lot of times where that has happened. And I'm sure, you know, not only with your film, but um, hopefully your film inspires other people to make to, to get stories like that out there. But my question I think is, and this is kind of my final question, like wrap up, like I want to end on a up note here Sure. is do you th- like, have you ever seen in real life a redemption story where someone is, you know, where that sort of thing is going on, whether it's, you know, the abuse or whether it's the addiction and you've seen someone come back from that edge and you can, you can say, yes, it is possible, and you can point at this person and say, look, see, they did it. I've seen people with pretty severe bad addiction problems, and I won't name them, and I will say they were involved in wrestling, uh, have some kind of reckoning, whether it's getting let go or having their career just go go to garbage or having their family leave them or whatever. The, whenever you get to the bottom of the, the bottom, you know, like the bottomless pit there, rock bottom they call it, uh, I have seen a few people make like pretty, and I've never seen it happen quickly. Maybe it does, but I've seen it happen slowly over time where it's kind of like, I am, I've been completely isolated. I'm on this Island by myself metaphorically because of this thing I've been doing. And it's really nice to see that person, you know, months or years later and be like, Oh, this is different. This is like a normal human again. Yes. I've definitely seen that. And I think that's great. What I have not seen in my own experience, at least, is someone uh, come back from being, you know, someone who's known for being like a weird sexual assault or creepy dude and come back from it. That would be new to me, I guess. Someone someone learning learning the errors of their ways, if you will. Yeah, like, uh, because that, that one is so the, the one with addiction is so much like. I'm owning this. Here's what I did. Here's my past. This, but like the other one, everyone just denies. <laughs> you know, like that one, right. the one where you admit that you have an addiction problem or whatever, or say it out loud, not admit, but just like like here's what I've been doing. Here's my problem. That's much more common versus hey everyone, I've been doing this with women. Like that's no one ever talked about that one. That that one is just utterly denied till the end. You know what I'm saying? Would you say there's a difference in the forgivability of the two? Yeah, because like. On one hand, the addiction itself isn't even something to forgive because you haven't been wrong. This is the person wronging themselves, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm not including any of the outward actions that come from that, that affect others. But the other one is like fully you encroaching on someone else's life and privacy and well-being and security fully. Like, so yeah, I think there is. And certainly I think there's, I think there's less, less stories of people coming to justice who are abusers than people who are redeemed, who are addicts. Yeah. And people, I think general public wise, they want to see a comeback story with someone who struggled with drugs or drinking or whatever, but they don't want to see a comeback story. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's hard to forgive people. You know what I mean? Like, no, yeah. Yeah, like you know, well, right now a lot of a lot of people are struggling with something that's a little bit a step left of this, and that is you know the Lars Sullivan issue where he posted some some unpleasant stuff on message boards years ago, and sure. people are trying to figure yeah. out how to move forward from that and say, well, you know, is he a mm-hmm. changed person? Is he someone who's learned his lesson? Uh, has he grown? Has he changed? Is there a way back for him, or are people just going to write him off completely? So, I mean, what what do you, do you think that there's a way back from that sort of thing? Uh, that is such a good topical point. And with that one, to me, I'm kind of blown away by how he, and I have no personal stake in this whatsoever at all. I don't work there. I don't know him, blah, blah, blah. But I cannot fathom when I was there, someone having that happen and then not getting fired instantly. It's so crazy to me, Mm. whether you're changed or whatever. Uh, and like a lot of things, I mean, like he, Again, this is not any of my business, and I'm sure I'm hearing the the, the wrong stories or sideways or whatever. But like the they're counting on wrestling fans having short memories, and so it's probably a thing of like, oh, they're mad about this. Great, wait a month, and like I'm sure that's true. It'll just the people who are really mad will st- will be a minority and a smaller and smaller minority as time goes on, and he will just be part of the roster. That and the newer fans, there's such a turnover in wrestling too. 
that's another way that uh, it helps certain people get away with things is that there's such a, a constant turnover in wrestling that people who are so fired up and mad about X will not be around two years later and new fans will come in and not know about that thing. And that's just how it is. Yeah. That's another well, benefit of uh, being a, a bad guy in wrestling, I guess. Not saying he is. I don't really know his deal at all. Sure. But just speculative based on what we, what we know of the scenario. I mean, yeah, but they were, they were able to bring Hogan back in that same way. It's just slowly ease him back in and test the waters. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You just, there's like that period of like pre- pretend he's not around for a year. Okay, he's back. And then you just like, same with the Saudi Arabia tour. Everybody in the world was yeah. mad at that, and no one's going to go on this tour. And we're not going to watch it. Blah blah blah. Okay, you all watched it, and everybody went. Oh man, so, don't pull, don't, don't pull our string on that one. We'll be here for and another hour. Yeah, <laughs> we're pretty salty but I'll tell about you, that I can one. Tell you, uh, I can tell you a really happy, uh, blurring reality thing that I remember distinctly from NXT days. If that, if we can end on a high note, I'll give you one of those. Yeah. Perfect. That's perfect. Yes. Bo Dallas wrestling. Against uh, the uh, Florida heavyweight champion in a match on, on FCW TV, I guess pre NXT. You just called out one of Nick's favorites, so that's perfect. <laughs> he loves it. What you say? Bo. I love Bo Dallas. It's one oh. of my favorite wrestlers. <laughs> so he's in this match. We're all in the back watching. It's a three segment segment match, and as far as we know, he's losing. He's the babyface who just can't get it done again. Something, something, something. The bell rings and his hand is raised. He reversed the champ and is champion now. And he, you can see his face just like, he is just like, what? I just won? And you're like, genuinely, wow, he's a good actor. He's really, you know, pretending he won. And he comes back and goes, and he's like, they just they whispered to me right at the end, roll him up, you're going to win, you're the new champ. And so, like, that was a call made on the fly by Dusty to the ref to tell him. And so that was a little thing of where he legitimately didn't know he was going to win, won the match was new Florida champ and was like sincerely and genuinely like pumped and thrilled. So that's a way in which sometimes the line between what's real and what's not real is blurred in a nice way. Yeah. That happens a lot. Oh my God, I'm tingling. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. That was a great, that was huge. I mean, that wasn't, again, that wasn't any of us in that match except for him, but you know, Damn. coming up with someone and seeing that happen and you're like, Oh shit, dude. Like, Maybe everybody's mad at Brock Lesnar right now or whatever that was, but like the opposite happens a lot too, which sure. nobody really knows, and it's good that they don't know that, but yeah. But at the same time, you know, it is, it is the search for the, the genuine emotion, and I'm sure that Bo gave like a really, you know, he was genuinely really excited and happy, like you said. Like You're like, wow, yeah. if, he's, if he's acting, that's really good acting. Well, well guys, let, let's not forget two months ago, we were given all of our big face wins at Mania. So yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Are you yeah, not yeah. entertained? And, <laughs> and you, uh, and sincerely, we don't know how many of those people who won those matches knew that they were winning that even before they walked out down the ramp. I mean, that's a thing that happens. People often don't know. People don't know sometimes. I mean, not for mania, but like, there's times you'll go out to wrestle on house shows or TV and not know who your opponent is. That happens wow. sometimes. Wow. Uh, yeah wow. so people complain about hot shotting sometime but i think i think those kinds of things are some of the most exciting aspects where it, you know you, you're watching someone living in the moment because even they don't know what's going on you, you know, going uh the hate. pay-per-view cyber sunday used to be exactly that you they, yeah. those guys would not know what their matches were which is awesome well dude hey I, we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us man this has been a ton of fun and i um i want everyone who listens to our show to go check out your stuff. You said again that the uh, I want to give the website and the name of the movie again, so that when that is up and running, yeah, can sure. go and and crowdfund your movie. Like, please get pr- promo away. Yes, uh, thank you guys for having me on. This is awesome. I, uh, got to talk about a lot of stuff that I haven't thought about in a while, which is pretty cool. Uh, so the movie is called Heal. It's going to be crowdfunded on Seed and Spark. And if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm going to be posting about it nonstop. So. On Twitter, I'm Hot Young Briley. On Instagram, I'm Rye Rye Nem Nem. But, you know, search Rye Nemeth. I'll show up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, get involved with the movie. And you can literally become a producer on the film. There's, like, different levels of involvement. So whatever you could do to become a part of this badass project, I love it. Awesome. How long will it be up on crowdfunding? How long are you uh, running the crowdfunding? Uh, we're doing a we're doing a thirty day campaign. What uh, What date is it officially starting so that, you know, this is going to be going up later this week? Um, but what date is it starting so people know the time frame they have? I'm hoping it's up right when this goes up, and if not, it'll definitely be up a week from now, but you'll have about a, you'll have a whole month, so there's no excuses, man. Yeah. Get on None. there. None. And also, everyone, go check out uh, Ryan Nemeth's books as well. Um, I check was talking about them earlier. Yeah. I, can, I can make out with any girl here. 
And then his Kindle-only release, <laughs> Life Advice for Your Life. So I want to make sure everyone check out everything this man does. Are you going on tour anytime Thank soon? You. Are you still are you still going out on uh, tour with the bro? Are you doing your own thing or yeah, we're sh- actually shows? we have a show. I guess this will the show will already have happened by the time this airs, but we are hitting uh, Second City Hollywood together, me and Dolph, uh, this Thursday the twenty third. So yeah, Aww. and then he has a few more dates, and I'll probably hop on a few. Like there's one in San Diego coming up. I'll probably be on that one. Nice man, awesome. I I'm sorry to miss this one this Thursday. I'll actually be going to Vegas for Double or Nothing, but. Oh, uh, yeah, that'd my, be keep pretty my eyes good. Out. You, you'll I see my so. boy Luchasaurus, I think. Is Luchasaurus? Oh, he's in the uh, Battle Royal, isn't he? At that? I, or? Thought, I thought I just blew that, but I know that he posted about it earlier today, so I'm not spoiling that. <laughs> but he will be in. Oh, we know, we, know, <clears throat> we know nothing. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one listened to this until after Double or Nothing. No, that's very cool, man. Well, yeah, I'd look forward to that. Uh, thank you so much again for talking to us, brother. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me. Best of luck with all the projects, and we will definitely be keeping up on all of them and talking about them on our show. Hell yeah, you guys are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. And everyone who's listening to the show right now, thank you guys for checking us out. It's been a pleasure having this interview with Ryan, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes, uh, but as always, head over to the Facebook discussion group. Join us there. That is the hub of our operation where a lot of these bonus kinds of things happen that you don't want to miss out on. Also, follow us on Twitter at BWO Podcast, YouTube at YouTube.com slash C slash Busted Wide Open. And if you love our show and want to support what we do, head over to Patreon.com slash BWO. Sign up for one of those awesome reward tiers and uh, get in on some interesting perks like swag and listener questions bonus episodes all kinds of good stuff and don't forget we are going live again soon on youtube so keep an eye on us there because we will be going live and bringing the show to you with video we're going back to video Nick. it's been a long time and i can't wait to get back up on that as well yes but i'm nick howell you can find me on twitter at data center dude and i am sir ian dangerous you can find me on twitter at Dirty and dangerous. But by God, somebody stop the damn match! This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.